Welcome to The Abandoned Carousel, the show where I take a deep dive into the stories of the most interesting abandoned amusements and theme parks in the world. I'm your host, Ashley. This week, we're talking about American Adventure Theme Park in Derbyshire, England. This park was built on the site of a failed former amusement park that itself was built on a former coal mine with roots as old as the Doomsday Book. The American Adventures theme park failed due to a series of poor management choices, and the site sat abandoned for a decade. Today, the site is under construction once again, and will eventually become a new urban development. This is the story of the American Adventure theme park. The Shipley Estate is an ancient manor in Derbyshire, England. And when I say ancient, I mean ancient, especially if you're an American. The Domesday Book, the 1086 England survey ordered by King William the Conqueror, mentions the Shipley Estate. That's old. Early on, the land was primarily used for hunting and farming. Starting in about the 16th century and fully entrenched by 1722, coal mining began to be the primary source of profit for the landowners, the Miller-Mundy family. The mines continued operating under family ownership for the next 200 years. In 1920, the Shipley Colliery Company took over the running of the mines from the Miller-Mundy family, who'd owned the land prior. During World War II, coal reserves in the UK were taken under control of the government for the war effort. The National Coal Board was created to run all the UK collieries, and it took over operations completely as of January 1, 1947. And this included the Shipley Colliery. Once, there were three coal mines, working a total of 15 seams of coal and 30 railway sidings covering 176 acres in this vicinity. However, coal mining in the UK peaked in the 1910s and then began drastically falling in the 1960s. Coal pits of Woodside and Coppice, which were located at Shipley, were regarded as uneconomical and closed around this time. Working with the National Coal Board, the Derbyshire Country Council purchased the land and decided to create a park as a memorial for the former mining activities in the area. The NCB and KLF Mining Company spent four years reclaiming the former colliery land using open-cast mining methods. Two additional years were spent contouring, seeding, planting, and constructing in order to make the land available for public use. Shipley Country Park opened in 1976. Shipley Lake to the west was artificial and had originally been created for and near Shipley Hall, the long-gone estate manor. During the open-cast mining in the early 1960s, the lake had been drained. As part of the reclamation process, it was lined with clay and refilled, becoming the 37-acre freshwater Shipley Lake. And surrounding Shipley Lake was Shipley Lakeside, which was designated for privately owned leisure development. In the late 1970s and early 1980s, discussions began to occur about the future of the area. A tentative agreement was settled on for a park about the best of all things British, past, present, and future. Private company KLF Group negotiated a 100-year lease from the Derbyshire County Council on the property, and discussion moved forward about this leisure park. The residents of Shipley caught wind of the agreement, however, and they were against the concept and the expected traffic congestion and noise pollution. There was a lot of political infighting, 
but KLF finally got the go-ahead to begin construction for the park. The park was to be called Britannia Park. Britannia Park was envisioned as quite the grand affair, with multiple themed areas largely based off the Epcot idea, which had launched around the similar time. In the Festival Village, there was to be a traditional village green with a blacksmith and, of course, plenty of cafes and shops. There was planned to be a 125th scale display with English landmarks done in miniature. A Wonderland area was proposed for children, an Adventureland area for family-friendly amusement, and the lake for water activities and sports. The star of Britannia Park was to be the eight pavilions of the British Genius Exhibit, where commercial investors could highlight the importance of their products to the average Brit. It looked like it could be a charming park, but after irritating both the locals and the DCC taxpayers, there was a steep hill to climb. And since this episode is called American Adventures Park and not Britannia Park, I'm sure you can guess that things did not go well. Really for either one, to be honest. Money troubles happened to Britannia Park. KLF had hoped that sponsors would cover some costs. Quote, To participate in Britannia Park is to contribute to the success and share in the benefits of a major national tourist center. End quote. This was the promise in the park's brochure. Ultimately, only about 20 million pounds were raised. Epcot, for comparison, cost approximately 800 million pounds. The park opened on June 27, 1985, and it wasn't anywhere near complete. The former heavyweight champion Henry Cooper gave a speech, there was a flyover by the Concorde, and then things pretty much went downhill. Only five of the eight British Genius Pavilions were even completed. Um, Some of the occupants were the National Coal Board, the Royal Mint, and the Bass Beer Brewery. And then there was a half mile of miniature railway. And that was about it. The rest of the park was reportedly a muddy mess, much of it not even landscaped. The season was a disaster. Mother Nature even seemed to be out for the park. It was an extremely rainy summer. The rain kept both visitors and construction workers away. Only weeks after the grand opening, KLF was already selling shares in its business to pay off the creditors for the park. Staff were even laid off. By November of 1985, Britannia Park was closed for good after only 12 weeks of operation. There were no buyers waiting to take on the failed Britannia Park. The DCC was forced to buy back the land from the 100-year lease for 2.5 million pounds. Years later, Peter Kellard and the KLF Group were the subjects of reportedly the longest criminal trial in UK history. Over 14 months, it was revealed that KLF was in debt to the tune of 8.7 million pounds. Park debts had gone unpaid. Even the appearance fee for Henry Cooper had not been paid. Peter Kellard was found guilty on several counts of fraud, for which he was sentenced to four years in prison, and served one. The chairman of the former Britannia Park, John Wright, received a six-month sentence for his part in the fraud. Against this background, we now enter John Rigby, associated with Park Hall Leisure. This company is perhaps better known for its association with the UK theme park called Camelot, which opened in 1984. Rigby negotiated a deal with the DCC in August of 1986, another 100-year lease, but this time reportedly with less strings attached. Rigby wanted to capitalize on his success with Camelot and open a new theme park. 
This one was going to be a fully-fledged Cowboys versus Native theme park. That was a quote. Rigby essentially took the infrastructure from the old Britannia Park and put an overlay on it. Native Americans on one half of the park, Cowboys on the other half. The entrance pavilion was given a Stars and Stripes paint scheme. Now, American Adventures actually opened with incredible theming for the time. Alton Towers was the other big park at the time, and it wouldn't add a big themed ride for a couple of years. The press at the time called American Adventures, quote, a major new theme park, end quote. The former British Genius Pavilion, essentially an empty warehouse, was given a fiberglass makeover. Perhaps the most famous part of the park, at least in its abandonment, the building was covered in faux hills and giant fiberglass faces painted as Native Americans. Inside, there was a giant play area for kids under eight. A replica of the Alamo, reportedly quite convincing, camouflaged an area for horseback stunt shows, and this was called the Wild West Shootout. Lazy Lil Saloon was another area for live shows, where saloon girls would dance to entertain guests. There was a Zamperla Buffalo Coaster. There was a log flume called Cherokee Falls. At the time of the park's opening, this ride was actually the tallest in the UK. There was a small miniature train ride that went around the park, repurposing old Britannia Park tracks. This train was called the Santa Fe Railway, and eventually it went all the way around the park, all the way around the lake, popular for both transportation and excellent views. Fort St. Lawrence opened the next year with the Great Niagara Falls Rapids, which was later renamed Grand Canyon Rapids and then Rocky Mountain Rapids. There's some confusing names in this park. The Rapids ride had 12-seater round boats and was considered by some to be the best ride of its type in the UK. American Adventures was a moderate success after its opening, but it, it didn't really do as well as it was expected to do. The park's opening was still overshadowed by fallout from the Britannia Park disaster, which the media was really focusing heavily on. Possibly in a bid to distract the media and boost attendance, in 1989, a new ride came to the park via the Glasgow Garden Festival. This ride was called the Missile, and it was a Vacoma boomerang ride. Astronaut Buzz Aldrin actually opened the ride. It was deemed the most intense ride in the UK at the time, despite being very similar to another ride at the West Midlands Safari Park nearby. The next year after the 1989 season, Spaceport USA was added near the missile. This section was was a big hit. It was five years before a similar ride opened at Alton Towers nearby called Nemesis, and the whole section cost about four million pounds. It was all very popular. 1991 was the park's most popular season. In 1993, the Cowboys versus Natives theme was pretty much dropped, and the park was given an all-over red, white, and blue scheme. The time for the immersive theming was over. Nightmare Niagara was added, an upgrade to the log flume ride that was formerly called Cherokee Falls. This became a highlight of the park. The log flume had actually jumped back and forth with Logger's Leap at Thorpe Park for the record of the tallest log flume in the UK. Once Nightmare Niagara was added, it had an extra drop which made it the tallest log flume ride in the UK throughout its operational life. With the park's closure, the record has now reverted back to the Logger's Leap at Thorpe Park. Unfortunately, though, this new ride was never really advertised to any great extent. Competition from the other parks in the area during the 1994 season was intense. Most of them opened major rides. American Adventures didn't really have anything new or exciting to offer. 
so they began throwing smaller things at the wall to see what was sticking. They took the children's play area Pioneer Playground, closed it, and gave the space to a Motion Master 4D movie. Go-karts were installed at the expense of one of the live horse stunt shows. The next year, Lightwater Valley, a theme park in Yorkshire, was looking to free up some capital. They sold a ride to the American Adventures in 1995. This was called Iron Wolf, and it was themed as a gladiator's arena from the ITV game show at the time. This was a double loop coaster. Opinions are really mixed on this one. Some loved it, some hated it. Quote, it was a massive mistake buying something as uninspiring as Twin Looper. End quote. The ride reportedly still had Lightwater Valley logos visible on it throughout its first operational year, if that tells you something about how far the theming had fallen. Soon, there were starting to be struggles with attendance. It became clear that there was no longer any interest in the detailed theming, like in the early years of the park. 1997 heralded big changes for American adventures, and potentially marked the turning point in the park's history. Granada, the company that owned the park, sold the leases to Venture World and to John Broom, the original developer of Alton Towers. This was part of a broader movement during that time, where public companies exited from the attraction sector. Following the sale of American Adventures, Granada also sold Camelot Theme Park, the neighboring amusement park, to that park's management in a buyout. And the Tassads Group, which owned three major UK parks, was sold by its parent company around the same time. Some more attractions were sort of put in and taken out. A sky coaster was installed at an upcharge. 1998 saw a short-lived attraction called The Flying Island. And this ride was really short-lived because it had a habit of getting stuck, which required fire department intervention. The ride closed after two years. 1998 also saw the closure of the Grand Entrance. The main entrance of the park was actually really cool. You'd enter, and then you'd go down this set of stairs into the main area around the lake, and you'd see the whole park unfold in front of you. But this main entrance was suffering from mining subsidence. Essentially, it was sinking and collapsing. What was once one of the most attractive areas of the park was closed off. That amazing feeling of walking down the steps from the entrance plaza and seeing the park unfold in front of you was gone. This was another negative for the park. The new entrance to the park basically had a view of some porta potties. Around this time, John Broom tried to promote name changes. He didn't like the American theming. American Adventure World was the new name, and the long-term goal was to remove the American aspect of the park. The name changes were short-lived, however, as was Broom's position. He actually left management of American Adventures in 1999, and the park was sold to the THG Group, which owned Blackpool Tower, Winter Gardens, and Piers, which were other UK parks. Major changes were afoot, and many of the smaller rides at the park were removed and sections closed off. A series of extra pay attractions were added, which included the JCB Diggers, where guests could pay to spend five minutes in a real digger. Most rides were beginning to show wear, with malfunctioning parts and ride structures badly in need of paint. Less and less attention was paid to the maintenance of the park. 2004 and 2005 was another period of huge turmoil for the park. It was the end of Nightmare Niagara. Around the same time, the missile actually closed as well, standing empty for all of 2005. So too did the Water Rapids ride, which was said to be due to structural issues and water pollution. The park had become a shell of its former self. Most structures and buildings were left standing, 
despite being abandoned or closed. In 2006, new marketing came out, promoting American Adventures as a place for cartoons and family rides. A couple of new rides opened up, including a handful of carnival-type rides and a small Zamperla runaway mine tray ride. But it was too little, too late. On January 4, 2007, the American Adventures Park announced it would not reopen after 19 years of operation. The 100-year lease went back to the county council. Most of the rides at the park were sold to other parks in the area. The Buffalo Stampede, it went to Twin Lakes theme park. Mini Mine Rush went to Flamingo Land. Twin Looper went to Poland. A lot of rides went to the Billings Aquadome. The Runaway Mine Train, that recent acquisition, went to Dubai. And many people began visiting the abandoned site of the former park, even though most of the rides were gone. In 2008 or 2009, much of the park was actually demoed in order to avoid becoming an attractive nuisance. In 2012, an announcement was made that the land would be redeveloped, but nothing really seemed to come of it. Nature just continued to take back the property. In February of 2018, Shipley Lakeside by Waystone was supposed to begin construction. This site would be a housing development, business park, possible healthcare, retirement facility, and pub. But 2018, it came and it went. Many petitions went around looking to reopen the park. One had over 10,000 signatures. Reportedly, Derbyshire Wildlife Trust is said to be purchasing at least 160 acres surrounding the site to create a nature preserve. A lot of Urbex videos are available on YouTube, and some of them really establish what is left. Urbexers have actually put down handwritten signs that mark what was located in the different areas. At first glance, really, there's not a lot left, just concrete footings. Paths are overgrown with weeds, crumbling pavement, and crumbling brick. Very little still remains. The concrete portion of a lift hill at the Rapids Ride is still partially visible. Trees were all reportedly cut down in 2016. Most of them have grown back. Water and many of the canals for the Nightmare Niagara log flume are still visible, though they're crumbling and incredibly overgrown with trees and other flora. Nearby, there's a rusted metal footing that used to support the runaway train ride. And in this area, the pavement is incredibly crumbly. Nearby to the bare outlines of the former show arena, Pier 49 sits. And this pier is actually sinking into the water of the lake on one side. Out on the island, the footings for the fancy octopus ride can still be seen, with large rusted bolts sticking out of solid concrete blocks. And floating aimlessly in the lake wherever the wind takes it, there's a platform that once held fireworks and a hole for the golf game. Near to the main shop area, you can see train tracks from the miniature train still relatively clear of weeds. Just your basic wooden logs on a gravel sea. By the original main entrance, a nearly rotten wooden bridge stands. In the former staff parking lot on the grass-covered ground sits one of the former River Rapids cars. Now, solely the structural components, concrete-looking plastic and rusted metal, upside down. A thin border of red paint is all that really makes it clear that this was once a ride car. Work for the Shipley Lakeside development is finally about to begin as of the time of this recording. Concrete crushing of all old foundations is said to start in mid-2019, with land ready for house builders in 2020. In an interview with the paper, 
the director of the development said that there was still 12 to 18 months of work to do on the old foundations before the first homes could be built. Quote, This is all weather dependent because what we have to do is take out the old foundations that were left behind from the legacy of the American adventure, and they have to be re-crushed and used on site. It's literally just a lake surrounded by overgrown foundations of all the rides. You can still see where the rides used to be. It just felt eerie, really eerie. You wouldn't think it had ever been a theme park. End quote. In April 2019, four construction vehicles at the site were set on fire by arsonists. Construction is still ongoing. American Adventures was once one of the largest and most popular theme parks in the UK. A series of poor management choices spelled the end for the park. Change came too little and too late for the American Adventures Park. However, the land has carried on since the Dark Ages, and it will continue on in a new form soon. For now, nature is reclaiming the land. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of The Abandoned Carousel, where this week I covered the long history of the American Adventures theme park in Derbyshire, England. I also provide video versions of each episode. You can find them at my website, along with complete show notes and references, theabandonedcarousel.com. Please subscribe to the show, and remember to tell a friend. If you have stories about American adventures, past or present, I'd love to hear them. Hello at theabandonedcarousel.com, or get in touch with me across social media. I'm Carousel Abandon, A-B-A-N-D-O-N, on Twitter, and The Abandoned Carousel everywhere else. I'll be back next week with another great episode, so I'll see you then. As Lucy Maud Montgomery once said, nothing is ever really lost to us as long as we remember it.